Thank you for joining us for the podcast of Conduit Church. We're a community of Christ followers committed to action. We meet in the Thompson Station area just outside of Nashville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about what's going on with Conduit here in the Nashville area or around the world, please go to conduitmission.org. Would you open your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 12? Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Father, would you give us insight this morning into your word and into what you're... I know you've got a word for each of us individually. So my prayer is that we would uh, encounter you, not as an academic exercise, but as a spiritual encounter with you this morning in your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Ashley was, how old were you when we ordered the caterpillars from the interwebs? You were like nine or eight or something. Ashley had a dream. She wanted to grow caterpillars uh, into butterflies. As it turns out, the internet has that too. So we ordered and uh, you get the little box or something and you put it in the little thing and then you wait. And wait for what is a long time before the, he spins the cocoon. If I remember how this works right. And then you sit and you wait some more until one day, after waiting, coming home from school, checking it, you know, he comes home and then there's this big, beautiful butterfly. And Ashley, who is our uh, animal lover, actually Lauren and Ashley both, Ashley's a little more pragmatic. She's willing to eat them. Um, uh, but we, she wants to set the butterfly free. So we go to the front yard. Do you remember this? In our little cul-de-sac, and we've all gathered around to witness this beautiful butterfly fly off to freedom in, in the wild. And we, you know, I don't know if there was a ceremony. There, there probably should have been. We should have said something nice, I guess. But anyway, we just let the butterfly go. And it, she, he, I don't know, flies off up and around the house. And it starts to fly up over the house, this majestic sunset behind it. From out of nowhere, a bird. I'm not making this up. I've never seen this before or since. Flies in... And right out of the air and flew off. (laughs) And there's that awkward moment as a father where everybody's like, (laughs) and as I recall, the first one to speak was Ashley, who said something along the lines of, well, it's the circle of life.
And we all went in and, you know, had ice cream or something. I don't remember. Um, why did I tell that story? No, I'm just kidding. The promise, the invitation that Paul makes here in this passage is for us to be transformed. And the word transformed there literally means not to get a new list of things to do, to trade in an old list for a new list. It actually means new, brand new. So the the premise of Scripture of you're a new creature, old things are passed away. I believe there's a reason why Jesus was a carpenter. One of them is, is that a carpenter takes something and makes something completely different out of it. A tree and makes a table. That's not a tree anymore. That's a table. He takes us and makes something completely new out of it. And so this process of transformation is the invitation that Jesus has given to all of us. Now, there's this, when you're born again, when the Spirit fills you and you, you are literally on the inside, you are a new creature already. Your spirit is made new again. But the process, the invitation, we have all kinds of fancy theological terms for it, but it's literally this process of becoming something completely new. When I was a kid, there were these people that when they would get saved, and you you maybe know one of them, you might be one of them. A couple of you are, but I didn't ask you if I could name names, so I'm not going to. (laughs) But when you gave your life to Jesus, your life was way different than what it was before. To the point where people would look at you who knew you in your old life and say, "That's what happened to you? How did that happen? How did you, where you would have normally responded like this, now you're responding like that. How did that happen? How did Over Nelson, the voodoo priest, who for years we fed his children in Haiti, how did Over go from being a voodoo priest, taking money from single moms who didn't have anything to begin with, taking their chickens and their lambs to get rid of curses and crazy weirdo stuff from the pit of hell? How did Over Nelson give his life to Jesus and burn all that stuff and become a construction crew leader? And turn his back on all of that. Over passed away two weeks ago. He's in heaven now. It happened because his life was, is, was, for him, he's reached completion, transformed. And we're just going to, I'm just going to literally do a flyover this morning. Because this is going to be a conversation that's going to go for a little while for us. Because I've noticed, perhaps you have as well, that in our society that a lot of brothers and sisters in Christ really aren't looking any different than they used to look, aren't looking any different than what the world... It's really impossible to tell the difference between what, the way they were and the way they are because nothing has, has changed. And it might be you this morning. You might be struggling with that as well. And, and you might be aware of it and, and want to change. And you might, you might, not ha- you might have said, hey, I, I, you know, I just can't help it. I just get this anger and it comes over me. i got to challenge you, by the way. Next time you have a little rage like that, imagine the pastor walking in. What do you do? You immediately change. Oh, hi, how are you doing? Some of us do it every Sunday when we're fighting on the car on the way here. We walk in, hey, how are you doing? So don't tell me you can't change. Because you can. 
Because you just did, right? So there's a, there's a truth that we're going to dig into. But the promise is for transformation. The promise is that I could be somebody new. There's this tension that I've felt in Scripture over the years of where Paul, Jesus, they would simultaneously use words like freedom. It's for freedom, Galatians tells us, that Christ set you free. Or then use words like slave. You're a slave to Christ. Slave and freedom, they seem to be contradictory. What is, if, if you're a center point kid, you can yell this out. What does it mean to be free? What does freedom mean? There is, don't worry about it. Oh, I don't want to be wrong. Just give me some answers. What do you think freedom means? Somebody go. I didn't quite hear him. What did he say? I love him. To be let go. Free. And when you're let go, you're free to do whatever you want. So how does a slave still have freedom and how does that not contradict? Unless what you want to do happens to also be what you ought to do. See, the problem is, is when I say freedom, I'm free to do whatever I want to do. I want to do some pretty dumb things. And as a parent, part of our job as a parent, if you've been around, you've heard me say this, it's worth repeating. And what do we say at our house, kids? You have a lot of ideas, right? We have good ideas, we have bad ideas. And as a parent, my job, part of my job, is to help you figure out which ones are the good ones, which ones are the bad ones. What if the promise of transformation meant that as you're being transformed, those things that you used to want to do, you no longer want to do anymore? And what if the things that you used to not want to do, you want to do? If freedom means I'm doing whatever I want and I happen to want what I ought to do, what, what better freedom is that? And what if that's the promise that Paul's making? I think that it is. And it's absolutely critical that we get this right. That we can have our minds renewed And as our minds are renewed, then our lives are transformed. What does the Bible tell us? As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. I think that might be why Paul goes on to say, after you have renewed your mind and you are transformed, then you will know his will for your life, his good, perfect pleasing, depending on your translation, will of God. Is he being redundant there? I don't think so. I think, that it's, I think it's way more pregnant than that. See, if I know the word and my mind is being transformed, if I'm being made clean by the washing of the word, and we're going to dig into that in, in depth It allows me to suddenly renew my mind to the word instead of renewing the word to my mind. I'm going to say it again. It allows me to renew my mind to the word and not renew the word to my mind. There's a lot of people, good people, Bible people teaching in this town that the scripture is not the ultimate authority. That sola scriptura is one of five opportunities for us to verify. We're going to dig into that. But for today, and the purposes of our conversation for just these next few minutes, I want to suggest to you that 
part of the importance, the critical nature of us having our minds renewed, which then allows the transformation to occur. It causes, it makes it, it's supernatural as we're in the word. That then you will know his will for your life, his good, perfect. And if you go back up there, when it says good, get to verse 2. Prove what is good. There have not been very many counseling sessions that I have been in where at one point the word, and I'm talking like serious counseling situations, where at some point the answer of, now, that, well, that wasn't good. Why'd you do that again? Comes up. And in your own life, when you've done something, if you're really being honest with yourself, it's like, ooh, well, that wasn't good. Shouldn't have done that. And it usually is followed by now, uh, what did you think was going to happen <laughs> when you did that? What did you think was going to happen? And the answer was, ultimately, I wasn't thinking about that. The unrenewed mind is not thinking about that, about the bad decisions, and worse, the consequences of those decisions, which are far-reaching. I love our church. That was... That's great. Surrey? Ask Surrey. What is good? <laughs> um, but it's my opinion that it isn't so much, and it isn't only, and it isn't exclusively, what is it that I should not do? It's what is good. Tabitha in Acts chapter 9, it says that she did good things, good works. It, it tells us in the Bible that we are saved unto good works. James says that it's, you know, not faith or works, it's faith, it's faith that works. That we know what is good to do. There was a comedian a long time ago that made a comment, he was joking about it, he said, you know, if, you're, if we're so busy doing the do's, we don't even have time to do the don'ts. Do what is good. Jesus of Nazareth, Acts 10, says his resume was he just went around doing good. And if my mind is renewed... Part of the transformation process is we start doing what's good. I look back over Jeremy and Amber here this morning. When we started a Bible study eight years ago now, before we were ever conduit, ten, oh my goodness, ten years ago. Wow. So we were studying the scriptures chapter by chapter, verse by verse. It was probably four or five years before I suddenly had this epiphany of, what am I doing with my life? Some people call it a midlife crisis, but it was this moment of, if I'm aware that kids are suffering in Haiti or wherever around the world and I'm not doing anything, what kind of a jerk am I? My mind was being renewed without even knowing that's what was happening. When you go through the Word, the Word goes through you and you begin to change and slowly, just like a caterpillar, the transformation, the metamorphosis begins to happen. That's why we emphasize the teaching of Scripture. It's why we say that the Word is up here and I am down here. It's why we say that if, I'm, if anything bends, it's me bending to the Word and not the Word bending to me. I've seen the power of it. I've seen the power when a young man in Africa a couple of years ago, well, it's been four years ago now, I ask him, hey, what are you going to do with your life? He just graduated from Bible school. 
And normally what happens, if you've, been, if you've traveled globally, you know what happens next. He says, well, I'm going to be an attorney or a doctor or a lawyer, and can you help me pay for that? That's just, it's not a bad thing. It's just the normal thing. But CBT said, Darren, man's greatest honor is to bring glory to God. And so if I swing a hammer, I'll swing it to his glory. And if I preach, I'll preach to his glory. He never asked me for a dime. It's when we started a Bible institute there that they go through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. We don't have to tell them what to do. The Lord moves in them. I got an email last two weeks ago from a young man, part of the original 12 that graduated, who is in his, his home village outside of Depong in Togo, Africa, West Africa, just telling me that he was starting a church there. There are three people in his church. He graduated from the Bible Institute, and he just wanted to thank us. Maybe I could see him next time we're in Africa. Didn't ask for money. Because he knows that man's honor, his greatest pleasure, is to bring glory to God, and he knows that because his mind was renewed and his life is transformed. That's the promise we have. Not just what is good, but what is acceptable. Acceptable is one that... There are a lot of unacceptable things. (laughs) There are some things that are acceptable to me, not acceptable to God. I had a company. I had employees. That was acceptable. Acceptable to me. Not acceptable to God. Not in a sinful way, but he asked... My wife and I had to take a step of faith and to move into this new thing. that we, Here we are today. I mean, I'd love to take credit for this. Trust me, I would, because it would look great on my resume if I had a resume. <laughs> but it was acceptable to God to do this. And as it turns out, it turned out to be really, really awesome. At the time, extraordinarily terrifying. To sit down with my clients and with my staff and say, here's what God is calling me to do. I have no idea how it's going to work out. I can't figure this out. But it's acceptable to God. It was the moment when Jesus said in John 8, and you don't have to turn there. He was talking about when you lift up the Son of Man in verse 28 of chapter 8. Speaking of the way that he was going to die. When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things In verse 29, and he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I will always do the things that please him. Acceptable, please. It's the same word that Paul was using. In the garden, he said, if there's any will, any way that I could, this cup is passed for me, I'll pass it right now. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. It was pleasing and acceptable to the Father what was going to happen to Jesus. Just like it was pleasing and acceptable what happened in our life. Pleasing and acceptable, there are things you do that maybe make you a little nervous. Maybe make you a little scared. But if the Father has invited you to do it, He has your best interests in mind. And it's acceptable. And if my mind is renewed, and I say renewed, my mind is being renewed. And we'll dig into the Greek and all that, whatever. There's a present tense continuation thing going on. Your mind is being renewed. And as you're renewing this little corner here, it's almost like you... (laughs) My brain probably looked a lot like my computer desktop, like a hoarder. Just, I mean, stuff piled everywhere in my brain. And so the process of renewal was me just cleaning out all this extra stuff and making room for stuff that God had to put in it to give him the acceptable. Kids, when it says in Colossians 3 that you should obey your parents... He says, because it is pleasing, it's acceptable 
And there are moments where you don't understand it and you don't get it. But when you obey, that pleases. It's acceptable to the Lord. And parents, one of the best things we can do for our kids is to help them on the guide and the journey of their minds being renewed to the Word of God. There's a story in the New York Times about electronic devices. The average American right now is spending 12 to 14 hours a day consuming media. How is that even possible? Because if you're on the internet while you're watching TV and your phone, that counts as a double hours in this study. But here's what's interesting to me. They said in this that researchers were figuring out that the human brain is never done forming. It's constantly growing and there are little roads and pathways that can form. And what the internet has done, and it's not that the internet is bad, but what's happening with the way that we're consuming media is it's, these were their words, rewiring our brains. No longer is it about how we're, you know, the information we're getting, it's how we get the information, how we can conceive and chew on information. Part of us renewing our own minds, part of us renewing our kids' minds, is helping them to make some decisions so that their brains are not wired to have to get information in 140 characters, like a machine gun, a constant scroll. Your brains are being rewired. Paths are being done. You're being, dare I say, conformed to this world, not being transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's not a heavy thing. In fact, they said in the study that this isn't as much of an addiction like drugs or alcohol. It's more like food. Because you need it, it's good, it's just in excess that it harms you. We can, as parents, help our children by allowing their minds to be renewed with the Word of God. And as their minds are renewed, they're being transformed. It makes it a lot easier to obey because it's acceptable, because it pleases the Lord. And the last will he said there was that it's his perfect will. The perfect will of God is, I believe, like the sovereignty piece. It's the piece that it'd be great for me to know, not necessary, because it's going to happen anyway. If you're, if you're on a cruise ship, if you're on a big boat, who decides where the boat's going to go? Anybody, if you're a kid, you can tell me. Ethan, the captain. Anybody been on a cruise before? I have not been. We had opportunities when I was in the music world to do this, but the last thing I wanted to do was go spend a bunch of time locked up in a boat with a bunch of musicians. Uh, <laughs> All due respect to musicians. It was actually more just, I'm kind of an introvert, so like a, a cruise is like, uh, like my nightmare. Like, I gotta, be ta- I gotta talk to everybody. The perfect will of God, I believe, the sovereign peace, He's the captain. The boat is going where it's going, where the captain wants you to go. While you're on the boat, you have opportunities to do things that are pleasing, that are acceptable, that are good. And I believe that you can't be smart enough to outsmart the will of God, the sovereign, the perfect will, or dumb enough to miss it. When I was, I've told this story, but it's worth retelling. The while back, we do this horseback riding retreat every year with some other pastors, and it's up at the Big South Fork National Park. No cell phone, no electricity. Well, we brought a city boy with us, Freddie. From St. Louis, like serious, legit city. We're about two miles in on the hike that day, and I'm talking the, the Big South Fork. There are hundreds of miles worth of trails on this park. 
About three miles in, Freddie's horse throws a shoe. You know what I mean when I say throw a shoe? Like a shoe kind of came off? So Larry, the crazy horse guy, who is our guide, who's lived in the mountains for 38 years, and incidentally, he says he's never seen Bigfoot. I've asked him. Um, so I thought, he's like, his first response, son, there's real stuff up here to kill you. What you want to make up something new? <laughs> like, well, that's a good point. He sends Freddie, the city boy, back to the barn to get the shoe on the horse. And he says, he'll find us. We'll, we'll go at a slower pace and you'll just catch up to us. So we keep going. And it's taken a while. And then we're riding and we come to a fork in the road. I'm thinking, city boy, how's he going to know? And Larry's like, ah, he'll be fine. He'll figure it out. We keep going a while, going a while. And we're like, oh, man, Freddie, it's going to be a while. And before we knew, I, I looked up. This, is, I mean, this has been a while, by the way. Looked up. We were on the low trail. Up high there was Freddie on a horse. What Larry, the crazy horse guy, knew that I did not know was that trail was going to come back together again. He was going to find us. He just took a different, a different trail. And the beautiful thing about a horse, by the way, is if you ever get lost or alone out there, just let the reins down, they'll find their way home. You could be 20 miles in on a trail and you get lost and let the reins down. That horse knows his way back. And that's why if you get, if you get down and you don't tie your horse up and they go, they're gone. You're walking 20 miles because they're gone. <laughs> Larry knew what God knows. When I was 24, I, I began this path, this career. When I was a kid, I, I knew I was called into ministry. I don't have the time to tell you that how and I knew and it was confirmed over and over again and at 24 and the only word I ever knew to give it was I took a left turn when I thought I, when I should have gone right and for the next what would turn out to be 20 years it's longer than that wow I was on this path and the only thing in my mind that I could ever the only mental picture was the further I go the further away I'm getting and I'll never be able to get back now because it's too far I got kids. I got a mortgage. How how am I going to... I thought I was going to travel and speak. That was my idea. It was a pretty good idea. It's one of God's. But I knew it was ministry. I knew that the Lord was in it. And even with the Bible study, even then I thought, well, at least I'm doing something. And we're giving. But I'll never be able to. What I didn't know was that the path would come back together again and that the Lord had it under control the whole time. That he takes my good decisions and my bad decisions and he is such a master artist that he can even take my dumb decisions and bring him back. And I know this because I know you should just ask if you've ever met, maybe you won't, but someday in heaven you need to meet Jacob and ask him. You kids have heard this story. Jacob was, he had gone to Panoram, he, he wanted to meet a woman, he, you know, and out comes this shepherd girl, smoking hot. And it was funny, it says all these guys were standing around waiting to move the rock. He was waiting for more guys to come to move the rock because it was over the well where the water was. But when Rachel walks up, he goes over there and pushes it up and just pushes it off the hole. And then it says, and I love this, and then he cried. <laughs> I never tried that. I didn't know that was an option. <laughs> like, Shannon, will you marry me? <laughs> no. Um, and do you remember the story? He wanted her so bad, and he makes a deal with her father to get married. And after, he says, okay, you knew it, but you got to work for seven years. You remember this? And seven years later... He wakes up after getting married that night, wakes up in the morning next to her sister, Leah. 
And he was, <gasps> he felt like he got ripped off. He felt like he got gypped and stolen from it. He was angry. He didn't want to marry Leah. Picture Leah, that's a whole other conversation. How must she have felt, right? So I'm going to work another seven years because I'm going to get what I want. And he finally gets what he wants. He gets Rachel. And after they're married, all of a sudden drama unfolds. She says, give me children else I die. Because she was barren and couldn't have children. And he's like, I'm trying. (laughs) And you might remember the story and Finally, she gives birth. And what did she do when she gives birth to her second son, to Benjamin? What does she do? She dies. That's all he wanted was Rachel. And all she did was bring misery to him. To the point where she dies and leaves him a, a widower with kids and his heart is broken. He wanted it. He got what he wanted. And he lives out his whole life. And at the end of his life, in Genesis chapter 49, somewhere around verse 50-ish. Do we have a slide? I don't know if we do or not. He's on his deathbed, and he says to his, he's giving blessings to his son, and he says, hey, go here, I want you to bury me here. I want you to where my father was buried, where uh, where Rebecca and Isaac. and, And here I buried, bury me here, he says. Next to, not Rachel, Leah. Bury me with Leah. See, even in that situation where he was, and I know it wasn't God's will because Adam and Eve wasn't Adam and his concubine. When Jesus talked about the will of God, you know, he talked about Adam and Eve that a man would join with his wife. He never mentioned. So even though God allowed some dumb mistakes, I know that it was God's will that he married Leah because that's who he was married to. And he's going to add on to it and do things that are not good and not acceptable. But you know why I also know that Leah was God's will? Because she gave son to a, birth to a son named Judah. Jesus was a lion from the tribe of Judah. The bloodline of Christ was going right through Leah and he didn't know it. And I say that this morning because some of us, you're at a point in your life where you might feel like me, where I took a left turn and I should have gone right. And I'm bringing hope this morning. Hope that I've lived, that I've experienced, that as your mind is renewed and your life is transformed, that that ship is going where God wants it to go. His perfect will. You have lots of decisions. Kids, you can do lots of things on the boat. God has lots of options for you. And at that moment, on the back side of your life, you feel like, I missed it, I went the wrong way. I'm telling you, that path will connect back together. Romans 8 tells us that all things work together for the good, for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And even the mistakes, even the things that maybe have brought you misery, I believe that God can bring hope even in that. Because guess who Rachel gave birth to? Joseph. One of the greatest pictures in Scripture of Jesus. The, 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 the similarities are unbelievable. But it was Joseph, when there was only about 70 people in what was called the nation of Israel. And God said, through this, and what's going to happen? If you've got 70 people, and this is my great nation, how are you going to survive? How about under the protection and the guard of the greatest military at the time on the face of the earth, 
Egypt. How about we take the 70 people there? Joseph will save. He saved the nation. So the mistakes that you think you've made, that maybe they are, God still has this ability to take that broken piece and put it with this broken piece. And before you know it, this beautiful mural. What are the things made out of broken glass? Mosaic. That would have been a really good moment. Mosaics of your life put together even with the broken pieces. And where does it start? With you and with I. Not trying to figure out his ultimate will, where the captain's taking the ship, but with me saying, I'm just going to get into the word. I'm going to let my mind be renewed to the word. I'm going to let God rewire my brain so I do good things. I do acceptable and pleasing things. Not because I have to, because I want to. And as I'm doing that, God is steering this ship. And even if you're 40, you're 30, you're 50, you're 70, you're 80, God has the ability to bring that path to where he needs it to go in his perfect will. He did it for me. He did it for Freddie on a horse. And he did it for Jacob. He'll do it for you. As our worshipers come back, I want to pray for you. And invite you this morning, if you have been letting your mind being conformed to the world, to take the first step today and Put your mind on things that are lovely and pure and just and of a good report. Put your mind in the Word. Don't bend the Word to make your mind. Bend your mind to the Word. Thousands of years of this have proven to be very, very successful. It's His promise. Jesus was the Word made flesh and dwelt among us. What you're really doing is bending your mind to Jesus. And then just relax. On the boat. What am I going to do this morning? I don't know. What does God want you to do? You go hang out on the upper deck, and are you going to go serve in the kitchen? Are you going to go serve in Haiti? Are you, what does God want you to do today? The boat's still going. You might have done some dumb stuff on the boat yesterday. It's okay. God's mercies are new every morning. He's got so much mercy. He doesn't even. He yesterday's mercy is done. He's got plenty. He never needs Saturday's mercy on Sunday. He's got new mercies today for you. As you begin to bend your mind, you'll know that and you'll understand it. And you'll know that my journey isn't complete, your journey isn't complete. It's a journey from selfish to selfless, to immaturity to maturity that begins with renewing your mind. Father, would you today, supernaturally, the way that you promised the Holy Spirit would do, teach us, bend us, mold us, grow us. And today, might we start with one simple prayer. Not my will, Lord. Nevertheless, thy will be done. Because I know you're good. I know you're taking me to the right place. Lord, could you make that real in all of our hearts this morning? It's in your name we pray.